0: Hello, my friends. Hello, my life warriors, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast. Woo! Today on episode 304, I'm very lucky, privileged to have Andrew Corsdell on the podcast. He is a ex-counterterrorism uh, chief officer, and now he is haha, the founder and, uh, well, the founder, owner, a man in charge of octopus leadership, mm. how are you today, sir? I am
1: fantastic, thank you. It's good to meet you. It's good to be here
0: I'm glad to have you here. I'm glad to have you here you sir you thirty years in the police what does that like what does that do to a person
1: makes you grow gray hair
0: uh uh-huh.
1: Well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh it's happened in a flash. Um I can still remember very clearly uh taking the, the what's what was called a three day assessment in those days. Uh back in uh nineteen eighty nine, ninety, I think it was. Uh you went to the training school and you were put through all sorts of exercises, situations, medicals. You were turned upside down, shaken around, and uh, let's see what what this individual's got to offer and um by good fortune, I got through at the age of 19 um and was was so, so pleased. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been an ambition of mine for probably the previous 10 years. so yeah, to think that's been and gone, three decades is um yeah, quite incredible, really.
0: Yeah I'm curious like if you can take your mind back uh, in that brief segment of time Ooh, uh-huh. what did did you have a conception of what it would be like being a police officer to what it was like actually being a police officer
1: yeah well my um the reason i've set up my company now um goes all the way back to that kind of 10 year old boy that was a victim of crime Mm-hmm. um and um you know I woke up one one I think it was one weekend morning and kind I of came downstairs went to see what was my fairly new first grown-up bike at the age of 10 or 11 and and it was gone and, and I I just couldn't quite believe it and and then you know parents came downstairs they were devastated contacted the police that's my first experience of the police and, and what they do and how they help you and the fact that you don't need to pay them any money. They, they come because, you know, the state provides that service. And it was just a huge shock that there were evil people in the world that would walk into your home, you know, which is a very precious and private place, mm-hmm. and take something that didn't belong to them. Really, really shocked me. Uh, so then the contrasting kindness, empathy, leadership, strength to stand up to evil from the police was just incredible really profoundly impacted by that so the police that came along actually um were not only brilliant but recovered my bike found it you know found where it was and who had done it got the bike back to me they even brought me a book on what it's like being in the police and i remember treasuring this book and it had a picture of a police officer on the front and there was like a fingerprint kind of um, effect to the the, um, the the effect on the front of the book, and yeah. I just treasured this. And from then on, that's all I wanted to do was be in the police. And I remember a couple of family friends had their own businesses, and they'd say, "Oh, come and work for me, Andrew. You know, you're a good guy, and you know, I think you should come and work for me." And I just, I just can't move away from this idea of being a police officer. Even my parents tried to dissuade me because I was such a shy kid, such a shy kid, that they said, I'm not sure it's the right career for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, there was something inside me that wanted to, I think it was a drive to help people and to be that person that was able to step in in that sort of situation. I mm-hmm. found that immensely kind of rewarding, the fact that there are people that do this, uh, to kind of, I suppose, stand in between evil and, and good and and do the right thing. So it was, it was, um, yeah, a strong passion that I could not be persuaded out of. Um, so at the age of, uh, I, I didn't go to university. I went and did A-levels, finished those, uh, went to work for a, a bank because the police had said, look, you will not get in at the age of 18 and a half, which is the minimum age. You just need some life experience. You know, you're dealing with all sorts of difficult things and and, you know, life issues. You need life experience said, so fine, okay, Join, joined the NatWest Bank then. Um, a lot of friends had done that. It was okay, but it wasn't kind of, it wasn't what I wanted to do. Uh, and then I think it was a cancellation that came up and they said, right, you know, we've got this cancellation. You can come along to this three-day assessment where we, we look at all sorts of aspects, you know, your kind of written work, your problem solving, you, you go through medicals, you go through fitness tests, Uh, We interview you, we probe the way that you think, how you deal with stress. Um, And and I went through that three days um, with with maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 others uh, and got through, which I was surprised at. I think less than half got through that assessment process. uh, And I'd actually even been caught speeding shortly before. (laughs) And would you believe it, they brought it up. They brought it up (laughs) to me in the interview. So Andrew, we um you know it's good to see you here and it's good to um good to talk to you. Um have you ever been involved with the police at all before? <laughs> and I thought, what are they fishing for? <laughs> what are they fishing for? So I said, Um, you know, what 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 do you mean? I said, Well, just a straight question, you know, have you ever been involved with the police before? And I thought, This is a test of truth. Yes. So I said, Well, I, I have actually been caught speeding. I didn't think they would know about something so trivial. Oh. I said, I've actually been caught speeding. Um, and I said, ah, yes. Uh, and they read out the speed that it was
0: <laughs> it, and the
1: zone that it was. I am like, oh my God, I'm so glad I told the
0: truth. Wait, were you sweating at that point? I, imagine? I was sweating.
1: <laughs> I was sweating. I thought, oh my God, this is all going to come undone because of this. But I'd thought about it beforehand. Mm. And I said to them, look, it's a mistake I made. I've reflected on it. I don't intend to do it again. And I'm sorry for what happened. And they just said, great. And they moved on immediately. So it was a little test of, does he tell the truth? Has he reflected upon it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what's his attitude towards it? Mm. And I think I demonstrated the the sort of integrity and the The kind of personality that they're looking for to be dealing with the most kind of traumatic and sensitive things that you you deal with in the police. so yeah the sweating um was not good but um was put behind me and 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 thankfully successfully
0: yeah because like this is the thing like you like before we started this you described yourself as an introvert and like now If you're an introvert, like, well, police, you're going to be asked, called upon, uh, demanded upon by much of society to step in to, like, some quite hair-raising experiences. Uh, Yeah. So, like, this is the thing. Would you say, like, you're more, not a crusader, but justice, that sort of, like, moral compass of right? Overweighs everything for you, even your like sort of like being an introvert.
1: Yeah, I think I, I think I think you probably nailed it there, really. I think the police naturally attracts probably more confident people who are very, um, you know, very sort of strong in their, uh, in their demeanor they're they you know they're not shy they are quite happy to walk into all manner of situations for me i think it was yeah it was it was driven by a, a powerful sense of fairness and fairness is about you know we we have laws in the country to protect us so mm. we can talk about our our lives without being interrupted by abuse or people breaking into our houses, or crime. And the the fact is that there is evil out there. And unless we can, and the police is a hot topic at the moment, and it probably always is, but it it is very much so at the moment, you need really, really good people who have got the strength to stand up to evil, but have got the softer skills to empathise and look after victims and see it through their eyes. Mm -hmm. And that takes a certain type of character. And I think for me, yes, it was the the sense of justice, the ability to be somebody that could help people in their hour of need, to be that person that they could turn to. Uh, and even now doing my coaching, people say, you are so supportive. You know, I, I always feel better when I've finished speaking to you because I think I've got the ability to to empathize but not just empathise, but to give them some good advice around steps moving forward that make them feel, actually, there is a way out of this. It's, mm. it's a dark place, I mean, now, but there is a way out. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think you probably summed it up quite nicely, that, that, that sort of sense of justice, right and wrong. Got to, someone's got to stand up to the evil.
0: Um, and I that's what drove me, yeah. Mm. It must be... Like, this is the thing. Like, unfortunately, the world is not, like, a TV show or a film where after, like, yeah, nine, like, 60 minutes or 90 minutes or three hours, yeah, the the evildoers, like, come, like, they come, justice comes for them in some form of way. Uh, in my, like, one of my favourite films, like, Denzel Washington, Man on Fire. <laughs> like, with like... Yeah. Yeah. Where, uh, I just say with a devastating grenade or two and that, will leave it at that but when like there must have been times where you could not provide that sort of sense of justice or like you know what I mean that sort of realm of fairness yeah. like how did that sort how did you manage to sort of like deal with that because there is obviously the victim side of whatever crime goes on but how, as an officer, did you manage to sort of like, yeah, deal with that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, that that, that is um, that that is, I think, something that probably keeps a lot of police officers awake at night. Mm. So, in this country, uh, we have a very high standard of uh, the burden of proof upon the state. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we've got to prove beyond all reasonable doubt. And it's a very, very high standard to prove, to convict somebody. So it was designed to make sure that the innocent didn't get convicted. But the result is that it actually protects a lot of the guilty. Particularly, again, when you layer on um, legal aid that is provided by the taxpayer. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And actually, one of my frustrations is that the legal aid that might keep that burglar out of prison because they use their skills as a lawyer to spot perhaps um a minor deviation from process Mm -hmm. then exploit and use to get them off this can these kind of activities take place um and what that means is that they have got actually a direct financial interest in keeping prolific criminals um out of jail. Mm. Whilst ever they are getting arrested and are committing a crime and they are calling the same solicitors, they are coming into the police station, representing them and getting paid well from the taxpayer. So it's a frustration, it's a frustration for cops up and down the country. Um and you're right, you then look into the eyes of the victims and you feel a huge sense of responsibility to do the right thing by them. And I've been to Crown Court many, 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 many times. And you are trying your best all the time to keep the case on track. But guess what? Witnesses don't want to go to court. Who would want to go to court? They don't get paid to go to court. To be stood in a courtroom in that intimidating environment, being asked questions by barristers, stood there being looked at by the jury, time away from work, time away from their family. It's not, not something that people want to do. So you've got as a as a cop to try and persuade them of why it is the right thing to do it, mm. and and that and that's difficult. You are trying to keep the case on track. You're trying to do your best to build an evidential case against the person that you believe has committed the crime because of the evidence that you've seen. You sometimes uh, will have intelligence, which is information that that tells you certain things about. The individual, you will know their previous convictions, and you will know that they they've got a lifestyle that maybe commits that type of crime. So mm-hmm. you're convinced inside. You, you know that you know um, they are highly likely to be to be guilty. But you've got to you've got to prove that you've got to prove that case. And intelligence generally doesn't come into the the courtroom. So you feel that sense of responsibility. But you know, as with most public services, you are stretched and you are on the limit all the time. To, to offer a premium service to everything that you've got to try and do and and there is a risk that sometimes it's difficult to convict them and sometimes you can't convict them either because you know the lawyer, their lawyers managed to uh, just sow one little seed that show, that that presents a level of doubt mm-hmm. and that, and that's it. you know it's a much higher bar as I say for the prosecution side than it is for the defense side. And then if they're not convicted, then you do feel very what we call the officer in the case, the lead officer that will take that case from investigation through to court. You do feel a very um, deep sense of responsibility to everybody in the country to try and uh, curtail the evil, but also, you know, and particularly so to the victim um, who, who has been through something traumatic. And they need this sense of justice that the person that's done this um, is dealt with. And and um, and it's difficult. It is very, very difficult. And it's a, it's a funny thing because and I say funny meaning strange rather than funny. Um, officers take that responsibility home with them every day, every night. You know, it's in their dreams and nightmares and they, they hold that with them all the time. And they're working in a system that, like I say, like many public services, there isn't enough resources to do, offer a premium service. yet you work in an environment where only a premium service is good enough, and that gap is taken on the shoulders of the individual rather than the organization, I feel in many ways.
0: Mm. Because like if, if many an officer is carrying this with them. And, like, basically, like, that sort of, that nagging, like, sort of ache of not basically, like, yeah, for whatever reason, that case didn't come through. Maybe down to, like, yeah, something the lawyer, like, brought up. Maybe it's somewhere a police officer, like, messed up. A, A myriad of different reasons come along the way. Like, how do, like, do officers like, handle that kind of burden? How do they get, like, how do they sort of defuse that sort of ticking time bomb, I would imagine, of pressure and, built, like, built-up emotion?
1: Yeah, well, I think, um, unfortunately, uh, you are just expected to take it on the chin.
0: Mm.
1: You know, there, there is not a lot of support, uh available you are just expected to be that resilient you know the the, the kind of language that would, would be used is like you know it's tough in the place that's the it's a tough job mm. not everybody gets through selection process you need to be tough you need to expect to take these things on the chin and you need to just deal with it regroup put a smile on your face go back to it the next day and look look after the next victim um but i i I think, you know, as you say, it's a tick, it is a ticking time bomb. I think more officers left the forces last year than joined. I think, um, you know, for the working conditions, it's not that. And I don't want to make this podcast about beating the police up because I think it's a fantastic organisation. I really do. You know, business benefits from um, the police and a, and a, and a you know a healthy society citizens obviously benefit from, and we have got an extremely civilized and democratic society mm. but I do think i, I have, do have a personal view that the police could do better, but I think it's 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 a conversation for the government senior leaders, police officers the public it's got to have that proper conversation and say where are we good, where are we not so good, how do we close that gap yeah um because you know, to, to answer your question, I, I do think it's just down to sorry. Get on with it. Put a smile on your face. Be brave and, and be ready for the next.
0: Mm. Because like this is the thing. The reason why I'm asking you these questions uh, because one, you like like three decades in the police force. Like yeah, basically, what things were like in the eighties, which was late like late eighties to the nineties. To the early two like twenty tens to present day, it's quite extremely like well society is extremely different to what it was then. I'm just kind of like, yeah, wondering if the police has evolved and like yes you know, so it has. Let's just say if you look at the met it, metropolitan police in London, uh, there was there have been like. a a couple of dark incidences which have come up recently which yeah but like yeah has it evolved has it got better along the time or is it just like yeah as you just said grin and bear it i think that was most probably the mantra was like preached to you for most of your career i'd imagine
1: yeah, I, I think policing has evolved, and I, I honestly do believe that 99% of police officers from the ground through to middle management, right up to chief constables, they join because they want to help people. They believe in trying to curtail evil and, and protect innocent people to be able to enjoy their lives. Um and it's as simple as that. That that is the mission: protect the public from harm. Um, but it's it becomes very complicated. You know the amount of money that you get into the police to to deal with what you've got to do. Mm. Um, you 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 think of COVID, for example. Suddenly, the police that are struggling to deal with everything that's coming across their desk as it is are expected then to police COVID uh-huh. because they are the police, and it comes to them suddenly there's a huge expectation on the police to do that. And then guess what? They're expected to do something that, you know, in it's decent members of the public may stray into areas that they shouldn't have done or be out of the house longer than they should have done. And the neighbours are ringing up. Well, the rules have been set down. Somebody's reported something. You've got to enforce the rules. Mm. That then damages the police reputation because they think, well, that's overzealous policing. That, that's not necessary, is it? So the police are kind of buffeted from left and right And as austerity come along, things like mental health beds might reduce in number, um, all sorts of other services, when they start to dry up their resources and they can do less, their problems roll down the hill and land in the police lake. So that then, we are the kind of, you know, the service of last resort. When people don't know who to call, they call the police. So I think... The police are put under additional pressure where when I first joined, it was a very reactive force. A crime happened, we turned up, we tried to make people feel better, we gathered the evidence, we tried to find out who'd done it, we moved forward. But then it just got bigger and bigger. Police very much moved into the proactive space, and that was what I spent most of my time doing, which is why I now kind of investigate companies to look for they're missing potential, but it's very much uh, the police moved into the how can we get ahead of the curve? Mm. Who's committing the crimes? Why are they committing the crimes? Is it a medical problem? Is it drugs that's driving it? Is it the domestic situation? And how can we then try and get ahead of the curve, get into that situation, and try and unpick that cause, and try and try and stop it, try and help it with our partners, thus kind of partnership working. Uh, was born in
0: probably the mid to late 90s. Okay, okay. So I have to ask this. Like, when you, like, left the police force, now, 30 years of service, 30 years of doing certain things a certain way, was it, it has it been an easy transition for you? Can you tell me about that?
1: Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a really funny psychological thing because in the police is difficult it it's all, there's all sorts of pressures and expectations you are constantly trying to do the right thing mm. but it, but it's a kind of it's a, it's a knife edge all the time and you know if anything goes wrong then the media will be on it straight away and and by going wrong i mean um you you, know, you weren't able to protect somebody. Um, and, and you live with that level of scrutiny all the time. So what happens is the police become very risk averse. They try and do as much as they can to stop that happening. But of course, it's extremely expensive and resource intensive to try and do that. So because of that stress and pressure, a, a bit like the army, you can leave after whatever it is, seven years, 21 years, mm-hmm. whatever. At 30 years, you can leave the police. And I think many people kind of quite look forward to that day because the pressure cooker suddenly gets released and you're out of this pressure cooker. It's, it's, It's something you look forward to. And I did. But strangely, maybe not so strange, when I left, within a space of weeks, there was something big missing for me. I'd gone from being a chief inspector at counter-terrorism policing headquarters to being Andrew, who set up a new company, and that's it. And I had a team, and every week we would we would speak. We would, uh, because I was a, it was a national role, the team would be all over the country, so we would, we would speak via Zoom. But every week you would be speaking to them, you'd be supporting them, you'd be finding out how things for you and like at home, How's things for your career? What's going on for you? What responsibilities have you got this week? What did you achieve last week? Anything that you're struggling with? Where I can help? And you, you know, you play a paternal role. Uh, all supervisors play a, a, a paternal role in whatever they're doing. To so suddenly have that team taken away, and the big pieces of work that you were emotionally involved in, driving those big changes forward. You know, I was kind of a chief inspector, like a middle manager, but I was driving some quite big changes forward and trying to negotiate with like the Department of Education and um, NHS and, and and all these kind of big bodies, trying to move things forward to make the public safer. And I could see what to do. I'm I'm very good strategically at seeing what needs to be done and trying to make it happen. But there's all sorts of hidden agendas going on that are stopping you. And suddenly when that's all taken away from you, you feel this, I didn't expect it, but you feel this massive loss, massive loss of big things that you were that you were affecting, your brain, your experiences, your vision that were improving, you've not got that anymore. The mm-hmm. team that you were helping that relied on your support, suddenly you've not got that anymore. And I felt really quite lost for a definitely a few weeks. So the um the business has been really good for me to start getting back into helping people, solving problems, looking at the strategic challenges for them, helping them on a personal level uh, deal with things. Sometimes I may just spend two hours coaching them around what's going on in their head, and their headspace. They may be really stressed. And I think, well, there's, there's no point in me going through the next step in our programme if their head is not ready for it. So I kind of revert to... You know, you might say that the police officer empathetic, helping, supporting, how can we we, we move forward? So, yeah, a shock at first.
0: Mm. No, I I always find it interesting because like this is the thing. Anyone who is in a service, they have like one of the things regular everyday people don't always have is a purpose. They will mm. go from left to right. Bouncing around, going through their life, happy as Larry, but not totally fulfilled.
1: Yeah,
0: people who generally are in the services—they have purpose in uh, mm. inflicted on them. It, there is no other way of putting it. It's inflicted on it. This is what you have to do in service of the community in a greatest like in a greater sense. If it's a soldier, you will, your purpose is to defend and serve this country, overseas, and make sure you do a good job of it. If you're a fireman, ambulance, police officer, yes, it's in service of the public. And especially if you're doing something like counterterrorism, that is like, yeah, if it goes all south, if it goes all wrong, let's just say who knows where it could lead. Manchester, Mm -hmm. potentially, uh, 7-7, and that's a greater effect. When that's taken away, purpose removed, that that is, I would say, the hardest thing, especially when you have, like, a group of people where you have a joint purpose, like, moving forward. Because I think that's one of the sort of things, I think, like, no, not I think, I see when it comes to basically anyone who has been in any one of the services. Because that's removed from them, they all of a sudden, like, it's very difficult to go into that realm of let me bounce around just like yeah everyday person because it ain't easy and it ain't good because you don't know where that, where it's going to lead you. And I think with regards to what you're doing now with your business, I think that's giving you that, some of that sort of purpose back to you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you're right. Absolutely. That, you know, the, Police is a very strong noble cause. You know, you you don't get any more commission bonuses, sports tickets, company car, private healthcare. There's none of that. So mm. you learn as a leader to really drive the noble cause that we we are about doing the right thing, supporting individuals, recognizing good work, and it's a really good grounding school for how to get the best out of people. Mm. So that's the key thing that. Over many years, you know, you because I reflect and, and think, how can I be even better next year? How can I be even better next year? I I learned lots. And I realized that it's not just the confident brush types that can make a difference. Some of the quieter people, if you engage with them and you understand who they are and you understand what what's going on for them and what skills they've got, you can lift them up to make a big difference. But if you just write them off as quieter, they're not as confident and brash as some of the others, then you won't get the best out of them. So so what I've done is I've put um, all my learning over the 26 years uh, and, and developed uh, a, a kind of methodology for how you get the best out of people. And I'm now helping business owners with that. And interestingly, as you've spoken about purpose, one of the key steps is about the identity of the business. Mm. Because... Business can be a force for good. And I think people are, customers are looking for authenticity. And if you're looking to buy something from somebody, and if somebody's got a, uh, a, an authentic backstory and an authentic reason for why they, they exist beyond making money, that really resonates and people feel much more comfortable with that. So for example, um, a kitchens and bathrooms company that I've worked with, uh, I worked with them and, and described around, you're not just selling kitchens and bathrooms. What you're actually selling is well-being. Because you imagine if you have a nice new kitchen that's very functional, maybe have a have a nice little island, and you then have friends around or you eat dinner with your family and you, you enjoy that space much more, what happens? You just feel good. You have happier times. You 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 know your well being increases so actually it's it's not really about the the hardware that contributes to it but the ultimate outcome is is well being you feel better you walk in from work and you think whoa you know yeah. fantastic kitchen so I that's a big part of my work now is is really talking through what is what business are you really in not just what business are you in what business are you really in mm. and some clients they find that stage quite difficult at times but We work together, we persevere through it, and this reflect, often that is one of the biggest things that's improved their business. And actually, I don't do it for customers. I do it to inspire the team. Because I think unless you provide an inspiring environment and a purpose, people just become functional. They turn up to work, they do what they have to do, and they go home at 4 o'clock. Whereas if you create a far more meaningful purpose, mission, who do we serve? Why do we serve? them? what's it all about? How can we measure that? And how can we reflect that back to the team and give them feedback? It becomes far more inspirational and they enjoy work. They go home proud. They talk to their friends about it. And that is when you get the best out of people.
0: You know what? You would, I think you need to, like, if you sat, do you know Simon Sinek uh, by any chance? I've heard of him. Yes. Uh, basically he, what's the book called? Uh Basically, finding the reason why, and you're tuning into basically a lot of that. But, that that we've given, like finding, like I always describe why in a number of ways. It can't, like you've got your fuzzy why, which you have to push and like go, yeah, okay, I'm gonna like I'm gonna run, I'm gonna run five miles each and every single day. Uh, Okay, when when was the last time you ran? Ten years ago. Okay, right. Mm. Are you committed to it? I sure am. Fuzzy why? It's like, right, uh, like a five level down why, where it's like gravity pulling like you. Know, it's like going, yeah, I've got to run five miles today. Why? Because I've got a marathon I need to run. Oh, yeah, I've got like this health condition. I need to do this. This is the reason why I'm doing it. I want to basically, Yeah improve my health so I can see my kids grow old and like grow old be at their weddings and all of that and I've like yes you're getting them to that true why that five level Mm -hmm. down why because yes a a kitchen and I think many a company would like yes a kitchen yes it's got this great island and yes it's got like these ovens and it's got this gas cooker but it wouldn't be like yes it's the functionality but it's not what the why, the sort of like yeah, that little special extra source you found yeah. with other companies. Interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's, for me, that's what that's what drives people. You you've got to tap into their emotions and drive their emotions. You need to know, you know, the the the, the kind of example I often quote is: the phone rings at five to four. The due to go home at four o'clock. Now, somebody would say, "Well, hang on a minute." that could be a load of grief, that could be an unhappy customer, I've almost got my coach and I'm just going to ignore it. The boss isn't there. What What's going to make them answer it and help that customer? Because that customer needs some help there and then. They've got something bothering them that's making them ring now. So they want an answer. And we deliver five-star service by making sure that call gets answered and they get their solution. So how do we then make... Our people want to answer that phone. So we've got to talk about what does five-star service look like? What does it mean? Why is it valued? What are we about as a company? How do we make sure that all our people deliver this? So, again, another thing I go through is month, uh, monthly meetings with each of the staff where it's one-on-one, pure, um, purely about them. You know What's going on for you at home? What's what, what are you enjoying about your job? What are you not enjoying about your job? Where's your career going? Is it with us? Is it with somewhere else? What can we do to support you? What training do you need? What are you finding difficult? I really like what this year's done. This is the data that we've got that says you're doing these things right. These are the things that maybe we want you to work harder on. And again, the feedback is another game changer. People feel listened to. They can offer ideas. They're coming up with good business solutions. Um. And they feel really, there's an emotional bond created with the business owner or the leader because they really care about them. Mm -hmm. They really understand what's expected of them. So when that phone rings at five to four, it gets answered. The customer's happy. The customer gives a a five-star review. Customer talks to their friends and says, this company are absolutely brilliant. They are on it. And then, we we, so so the big push is about competing on value. There's no need to go anywhere else because I couldn't get, I can't beat the service that I've had from this company.
0: Mm.
1: It's, it's taking the noble cause of the police, the, the, the really noble mission that it's about, and injecting that same sense of emotion and what's the right thing to do into, into private business.
0: Now, speaking of private business, like now, the sort of buying buying into this sort of philosophy this mindset like have you found there has been kind of a greater resistance in the UK market because like what you're saying it sounds like something not it sounds like something which is like very sort of big corporate American type vibe feel it really? like yeah no in some regards uh that's like it's one of those things where you're like oh yes this that making like making your employees feel valued it's one of those things where i think it's the needle is shifting here in the uk slowly but surely but i think it's a long way from being like yes this is the be all and end all you know yeah what have you found with regards to like going out there in the market?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of only a year into into doing this stuff, but I I I found probably surprise at some of my my thinking. You you can only do what you think is right, can't you? And and I you know I'm I'm unloading what I think is the right thing to do. Um, I'm finding a little bit of surprise about the way that um, I suggest business is done. But what was really surprising is. Mm. Speaking to her, I bumped into a guy that I'd helped recently. And he said, you know what, Andrew? He and said, I am the happiest I have ever been in business. And that was like probably the best compliment you could ever expect. It was just, it made me feel fantastic. And he said, but I'm not just happy with the way business is running. The team are just loving it. And I do think that what might feel a little bit unusual at first, when you get your head into it, it's just about doing the right thing. It's just about doing the right thing and not becoming functional and just going through the motions, but understanding what is it that we are doing for who and how do we improve people's lives. And my, you know, one of my sort of philosophies is, I suppose, is that teams are the engines of the world. And the more we can focus those teams and inspire them to be the best they can be, the more we can improve the lives of the people that they serve. So actually, teams represent such a huge possibility to, to, to massively have a, have a, an impact, positive impact in the world. And what that requires then is ethical leadership that's prepared to just be more people focused and think about how can they serve their people in the best way they can by inspiring the best from their teams. And that sometimes means being tough on somebody that's got poor work ethic finding out what's going on what can we do to help you to raise that and and if you're not prepared to put the effort in then you're not right for us and we need to part company because you don't share our values and and for others that are working hard we recognize what they are doing and we reward that and we thank them for it and we we give private praise and we give public praise but we end up with you know an inspirational company that people think I love working here and it's not just about I do I honestly don't believe that it's just about money for people. I think people need that emotional feedback that says, you improved somebody's life today because you did X, or I saw the way that you did that, or we've had this review that's come in, and I know that's largely down to the work that you've done, so we're we're really grateful. That feedback loop is, I think, so, so critical. And I know that because that's one of the few tools that I had to use as a leader in the police. And you know you don't have commission bonuses, as I as I said, or any kind of monetary uh, incentives. You've got to rely on people doing the right
0: thing and being recognised for doing the right thing and and looking after them. Mm. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, because like I agree with you with regards to like yeah, like teams make the world a difference in like in our society as a whole, in businesses as well. It's just one of those things which always kind of surprises me. We, like, everyone knows this to be true, but when it comes to their own sort of personal life, they don't actually implement that sort of practice. They kind of, like, go out there by themselves or, like, yeah, uh, keep themselves isolated. It is one of those things which is quite perplexing. And when they do sort of come back into a sort of team setting, they some that they will sometimes just leave it at the door, or it just affects them in uh, quite a negative way. Not being able to get that out there can be difficult at times. So, like with that, is there times where you sort of go into a business or a company where there is something fundamentally sick within, and you're trying to to like find that root of that cause?
1: Yeah, so I, I do, um, I suppose, a mixture of um, coaching, mm-hmm. but also where I've got a, a specific program that, that uh, teaches business owners or leaders how to embed a particular operational system that I've developed called the Octopus Operating System. Uh, and that's an end-to-end program that, that will help them have more time run the team with ease, improve performance, increase profit sales, increase profit margin. But then I also do some consulting work, which is more uh, bespoke to a, a specific problem. So uh, an example might be going into a company that are not getting repeat, repeat bookings or they are getting poor um, or a number of poor reviews. And so my job then is to go in and have a, a good look around, and put my detective head back on, and have a have a good nosy around, and see what's really going on. And often that is the front line are uh, somehow disconnected from um, from the imports of customer service. They're just treating the job as we go here, functional. There's no kind of good bedside manner in 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 the way that they treat the, the member of the, the public that they are serving um maybe uh the systems that might have or the process that might have sold the the particular product or service to um a customer didn't quite wasn't quite transparent enough mm. in, in all aspects um and so then there's a bit of a surprise further down the line and and ultimately it comes down to you know, there's something
0: missing in the leadership. You've got a real wry smile on your face. What's well, going on? No, like, no, stop using your police, like, yeah, like body language reading. No, it's just, no, questions are uh, coming into my head. And yes, I'm just like, yeah, like, because, like, this is the thing. uh, Like, sort of, like, jumping out of that, I'm just curious, like, yeah, when you stopped being a police officer and you were like, yeah, starting up a business for yourself. Like what was some of the greater challenges for you? Because look, you are about leadership. You're about finding that why at uh, all of the sort of positive things that, yeah, many a company needs. But I'm just like, yeah, I'm just curious, like, yeah. Like as before, what were some of like the misconceptions you had before you became a police officer? What are some of the misconceptions you had before you became a business owner?
1: Good question. Um, I think business these days is, is very much reliant on social media and how you can find the people that you can help, that you are a good fit for, and they're a good fit for you, in in a busy world that's possibly busier because of social media because we can now serve the world very easily rather than you know we all go to the local butchers we all go to the local this the local that now the world is a smaller place so you've got to engage with social media which you know it's not my uh it's not my thing it's not something i'm experienced at but it's something you have to um you have to accept and, and engage with it. So, you know, that means obviously jumping on LinkedIn and Facebook and uh conducting podcasts with only the most eminent hosts. Uh, yes, I can. I uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, so it's yeah, that's 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 whole that's all new to me. That's all new to me, is that aspect. All I want to do is crack on, find people that need help in, get them there, do what needs to be done see a happy smiling faces from from their the impact that I've been able to uh have with them and and uh you know keep keep doing that. But you know you've got to spend unfortunately some time with the with the marketing aspects unless you've got you know lots of money you can throw at companies to, to do this for you. Certainly when you're starting out, then you need to um you need to do it yourself. And that's probably the biggest challenge I'd say. You know, you're, you're just desperate to get on and help people. But, of course, they, they, they don't know you. They You're at arm's length and they need to trust you and they need to understand, can they trust you? And they need to recognise what you offer. How can it help them? It's funny, actually, one of my my very first client, when I said to him, OK, so, what you know, what what do you think of your team? How do you assess your team? He said, oh, they're brilliant. Brilliant. Eight, eight nine out of ten I'd give them. Absolutely fantastic. And yet we found so much within his company that we could improve. It's just like, he says, it's just like a different place. And that's, so, so what, that's really strange because in his bubble, everything was, was pretty good. But then I've come along with new ideas and new ideas and fresh thinking. And he's, he's like, Oh, you know, I, I never even knew about this kind of stuff. And your, your, your ways of dealing with difficult situations, you, provided leadership options or um the appraisals the way that you've taught me to do those you know I was very much just focused on me and the bottom the bottom line and how we could um how we could support that yours is far more about them and how can we help them so yeah marketing
0: is uh, is the challenge <laughs> marketing's the challenge uh, yes i think if you told anyone uh in the realms of That business is like oh yeah what's the one of the key skills to have marketing marketing i'll say would be almost at the top of the list uh, as well as sales if you can't market if you can't sell oh you're gonna find it tricky out there tricky yeah (laughs) Yeah. Like, like can i ask how long did it take you to get your first client um
1: Well, I, I said to myself that I was going to have some months off to just um, come down, I suppose. I had a few big projects on the house that I wanted to do. But I think I probably made my first pitch for a sale within maybe a couple of months of, of leaving the police. And it was really... It was a really <laughs> inadvertent situation. I'd gone into a bathroom showroom to, for, to buy some sa- tiles, and I just really liked the showroom. It was absolutely spot on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and and the guy that came to help me, I said, "Oh, I've just come to see what sort of tiles you might have to buy." And and you know, I love the showroom actually. And he said, "Oh, that's, that's really kind of you to say that." I said, "Actually, I'm the I'm the business owner." And I said, "Oh, great. Well, tell you what," I said, "I've just set up a business to help." Um, small and medium business owners and leaders. Do you you know, do you fancy a conversation? And he kind of looked at me like, oh, well, hang on a minute, what's this? Anyway, we ended up in a couple of conversations, and he tells me now that he did a little bit of digging on me in the background. And he said, um, yeah, let's go for it. So I was just buying some tiles and um, seized the moment to say, look, maybe I can help you. Um, and he was a little bit sceptical at first, but as we talked and he started to understand, me and what i'm about and what's important to me and what my values are he was it was quite curious and he heard a few of my successes in the police and he said do you know what i yeah i might just i might just go for this so we did and and uh, it's been absolutely fantastic really really fantastic uh we worked together for now for 12 months uh he's seen i think we're almost at triple net profit um, and he puts it down to my coaching and and, and leadership support. Um, as I say, the identity is a big part. Some of the leadership aspects, the team are more motivated and and happy. Um, customers are happy. We've we talked about niching into a bit more of a specific customer and then understanding what their wants are and then providing for their wants. So yeah, I I absolutely love it and to see it to see my values from the police taken across into the commercial world and to see that success not just on the the bottom line but in people's genuine happiness uh it it couldn't have been a a happier first customer i feel very very lucky and very proud i suppose
0: i have to ask andrew are you truly an introvert or have you been lying to me Uh, (laughs) come on now
1: no, if you speak to anybody that knows me, I, I, I mean, if I go back to when I was a, a kid of maybe, I don't know, six or seven, I remember my parents would have friends that would come round and me and my sister would be upstairs and they'd say, oh, Andrew, just come to the top of the stairs and say, say hello to uh, to John and Pat. And I, and I just, I was petrified, absolutely petrified, didn't even want to look at them. And then, of course, the police knocks it out of you. You have to step forward. You have to deal with situations. You have to be the leader, even as a, a police constable. Mm. You, so, so that, you know, shakes it out of you. But, you know, I'm married to a super sociable um, woman. Uh, I, and if you stand me next to her, you'll see that, you know, I'm the quiet one and uh, not maybe the, the, the most sociable. Uh, and, and she's like, like on a different level. So um, yeah, I, did, I suppose it depends who you compare me to now. But the the police and and years experience and being uh, nearly fifty three, uh, I think moves you into a um, a different place. But I think at heart that introvert's
0: still there. I see, I see. Ah, the introvert's still there. I <laughs> <laughs> like at the top of the stairs. I'm sure. <laughs> now i I have to ask now, with this being a new venture, what would you like to get out of it over the next few years? What would you like to go?
1: Yeah so I think my 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 big vision, the big thing that I want to support I think is around probably developing a community of ethical leaders that know and understand and believe in supporting and inspiring their team to be the best they can be. And that doesn't mean beasting them to work really, really hard so that they, you know, they they you know they sweat and they work hard. It means lighting people up inside that you recognize what they've got to offer and you help them to to deliver the best of their skills, abilities, emotions, to the mission that the business has. Yeah. So ultimately, then their customers are delighted. And because the customers are delighted, then they, they come back and they spread worth of mouth. So for me, it's about the impact I think I can have on the world is through supporting leaders to to really focus on their people and help them being the best they can be um and you know I, I I developed something called the the um the business triangle sweet spot and what I say to, to prospects and and people I speak to is that you know you've got the customer at one point you've got the business owner at another, and you've got the team at the other and if if your business is operating too much to one side where the customers are happy and the team are happy, maybe the the business owner isn't receiving a price that that sustains his business, or, or maybe the team are you know having a good time doing just enough for the customer, but the business is just not sustainable there. On the other side of the triangle, the customers and the business owners really happy, but maybe the team are being worked really really hard and not paid very much and not being recognised for the effort they make. That's not sustainable either. And at the bottom end of the triangle, you've got the business owner and the team are really happy, but they're just not putting the effort in to to create delighted customers. So that's not sustainable either because customers are not going to give good reviews, they're not going to give good worth of mouth, and they're going to go elsewhere. So it's only by recognising that and and finding that sweet spot in the middle of that triangle where all three parties are happy, and I do believe that that is the place from, from the way I've described earlier, that is the way to do business. And so that's the the kind of big mission for me is how can we persuade more leaders to, to make sure that business triangle sweet spot is being achieved by looking after the team, inspiring the best and delivering outstanding five-star service every time.
0: Yeah, I see. Do you have like, say, a, a number goal that like you have X amount of, say, business leaders, like, signed up or is it just a case of yeah whoever joins uh this community you want to build over the course of time that is who's going to be in your community
1: yeah no no specific numbers as yet the the first year really was about um rolling this this idea and this concept my values and mission and vision out seeing Mm -hmm. who picks it up working gaining experience you know, I'm, I'm, as I say, I'm nearly 53, and I've done three decades in policing. But I'm the first to put my hand up and say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm starting a new career, and I've got, got lots to learn. I've got lots of value to get, to give, but I, I'm, I'm more than happy to accept that there is lots that I need to learn. Mm. So I, I don't believe putting any numbers or anything is useful at the moment. Uh, I just need to keep on with this traction, keep on selling this this vision and mission, helping more and more people, and then just seeing how it develops and 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 where it takes me. Um, but I'm enjoying every minute of it so far. It's it's hugely rewarding. It's, it's Somebody told me that, you know, you could get all manner of jobs once you leave the police, but maybe a better way is to put your foot on the ball and think about what really, really fulfills you. What do you really, really enjoy and would never want to retire from because it really delights you and that is what i'm doing now so it's a, it's um a different uh course to take but it's definitely the right one for me right i see
0: uh i sense uh, a bit of public speaking might be coming up in your future uh no doubt
1: <laughs> no, i don't know about that yeah i mean again i i've been encouraged to to maybe do some public speaking and i, I probably will um but it's not uh top of the list for things i would choose to do i like I like working hard, but I like working hard in the shadows. I think I'm somebody that would be. Um, my wife would be on the front of the stage, being in the spotlight, uh, and I would be probably um, in the wings, making it making it all uh, come together silently.
0: Right, <laughs> like, come on now. Like you know, Batman like works in the shadows, but he worked best when he like stepped out into the light with the Justice League. Let's just say. uh, i have to say like with all of this going on like yeah starting your new business like leaving the police starting your new business everything like this like what like what do you now do just to like go yeah you know what this is my down down downtime i need to relax kick back what is the thing what what is your moment of chill out what is your moment of chill
1: good question um i play a little golf um i i i read a few business books um, that's probably still related to business but i'm really hungry to to find out more in this new in this new world um i've got two young teens i'm a very dedicated father i always said they would be number one and they are and I'd go to everything that, that they've been involved in from a young age to kind of football and dancing and tennis and cricket now. And I I love, you know, being on the sidelines, watching and supporting them. That, that probably gives me a, a huge buzz, just seeing them smile, seeing them grow, seeing them enjoy life and knowing that dad is always there and he's always watching and supporting. That, that probably is um, a big part of my... Um, yeah, my my relaxing away from work.
0: Yeah, because like this is the thing. Skiing as
1: well. Love skiing. Uh-huh. Just twice this year, in fact. And that is I don't know why I would even forget that. The mountains. Cool. I am a big fan of the mountains. Oh. We've just been to um Pila and Cormea in Italy this year. And if anybody has not tried skiing that's listening, I, I would recommend it. Some people have not been skiing say, Oh, it's cold, it's cold. Why would you do that? but it's just the most exhilarating experience. You literally feel like you're on top of the world. It's just breathtaking. Yeah. Any listeners that have not been skiing, you must go skiing. Make it a commitment. Bucket <laughs> list.
0: Love it. Love it. Because like this is the thing, like, okay, 30 years in the police force, You like especially when you started, and I, like, I know this to be true because I've got a couple of friends who are in the police force uh, who just missed out on that sort of final salary pension stage, uh which I think you're definitely in that realm, you could have just been like kick back, relax, and that'll be it, but you don't strike you never strike me as a person which is that just sitting on your laurels would be your thing I don't think
1: no no, I mean I think you know to to um to put something into perspective um. Yeah. Cops pay a lot towards their pension. I paid 15% extra tax for 30 years. That's a lot of money. And then you do get a good pension. You know, this was built on the principle that by the time you're 50, you're too old to run around and chase after criminals. So (laughs) you need to be on your way. So the idea is, you know, we force you to pay an extra 15% tax, but then we kind of give you a pension. So you're right, yes, there is a pension there that gives you some financial stability. But as I said to you before, I found something missing within a short space of time of leaving. And I always intended to, to have a go at my own business. Uh, And I think it's that most, I think most professional people, most people have worked most of their lives. Um, Yes, you can do maybe do some traveling and relax, but there's something really important about still feeling that you are needed in the world that you offer Something to the world you you can make a difference that is important and and that's definitely something that I knew i i had to I had to get that professional fulfillment or i i wouldn't have been i wouldn't have been happy It's funny one of the first things that I do with clients is go through um a life business harmony wheel and it looks at you know friends and family professional self esteem Health and well being. And I asked them to give it each of these slices of the pie a score and to be honest. And they don't need to share it with me if they don't want. But the purpose behind it is just to benchmark where they are so that when they're making future big business decisions, they can reflect on their personal life and the harmony with it. So, for example, if somebody was not seeing much of the wife, not seeing much of the young kids, and that really was upsetting them, then maybe setting up another branch. Of their business uh, that might make them some more money maybe that might not be the right decision and i think having seen you know friends go for promotion just because that's what you do i feel a responsibility to just ensure people know what they're doing when they are making big decisions in their businesses reflecting on the impact on other aspects of their lives and making sure it's a more coherent decision more holistic decision um rather than just more money more money more money bigger bigger better so um yeah
0: right so what is your score oh i've not done it on myself i probably should shouldn't i (laughs) Um, come on now
1: yeah well certainly the probably the professional self-esteem uh Area probably dropped quite significantly after the police didn't expect it to. I thought, great, all this free time fantastic and then even though I was playing golf, I was building a patio, I was building a decking, I was meeting up with friends, seeing my parents. there was something like there's just something missing there's something missing here and 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 that was it and so when the business started to to take off, that kind of got that barometer. Back
0: up to where it needed to be for me. See, he didn't tell me your score. <laughs> but still, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No worries. He needs to do that test on himself for sure. <laughs> but yeah. Now, I have to say, now, all things considered, now, if you had. To do certain things all over again. What would there be one sort of key thing you would change, or would you be happy with this like the course of everything that's taking place right now?
1: That's such a big question, isn't it? Um, you know, in many ways, I think was the police the right calling for me mm-hmm. um at times because the working conditions, the stress, the pressure, the kind of people that you have to deal with is very difficult, very dark. And there's not a lot of banks out there. I don't think the public or the government really understand how difficult it is, how complex it is. Uh, and actually it's one of my passions is I would love to do something to maybe develop a series of videos that really help the public understand that were freely available on YouTube that would help the public understand exactly what it's like to do with various situations. So, for example, speeding, you know, most people will talk about speeding as if it's something that the police shouldn't be involved in, as if it's just raising money. And there may be an aspect to to that that that, that goes on, but not sure the police get any of the money. (laughs) But the bottom line is that speeding, I think, from the academics um speeding is the big is the is the greatest factor that kills people so you imagine if you 're the chief constable and you are so the area I live in in north yorkshire it 's got one of the highest um sort of road death rates because it 's very rural it 's got a lot of um sort of motorbikes and fast roads, and the chief constable is under a responsibility to do something about it they 've got to you know they 've got to reduce this. That's their job is to protect public, the public from, um, you know, from harm. So, so they've got to then go about a, a speeding strategy that tries to tackle that. But all the public will really see is just, oh, I've been pulled over and I've been given this fine. And, you know, we need to make the argument. It's our responsibility, well, not my responsibility more, but the police have got to be more transparent. And I think and tell the public what they do and why they do it. The why is not coming through, I don't think, and I think that would would be a really healthy way to step forward um, in in policing. So yeah, there's lots of things that I would change, but equally, you know, I, I am who I am because of the police, and I I've got lots of things I can be proud of that I did. You know, people that went to prison because of the case that I built, the the ideas that I had to, to you know find the evidence. You know, there were a couple of robbers I remember fairly early on in my CID career that we we didn't... This was a new thing, but I kind of thought, well, hang on a minute, there's some cigarette butts on the floor. If I collect those cigarette butts, is there a chance that DNA might be able to pick up who that is? Probably not, but I'll, I'll do it anyway. I ended up identifying who they were. And I think one of them got six years in prison. The other one got life because it was an armed robbery and because of what they'd done in the past. So, you know, you could so easily have not picked up those cigarette butts and not thought that was relevant. In certainly at that time, it wasn't a, wasn't a big thing. So, you know, I feel like I can be proud of what I've done. And I met my wife in the police, so I wouldn't have met her probably if I'd not been in the police. So, you know, life takes its turns left and right, doesn't it? And, and I, I, I don't have any regrets. I've, I've gone from being a, a shy kid to probably somebody a bit more, a bit more um, middle of the road um, probably got the police to thank for that. Done some good in the police. It's taught me a lot, and actually, it's probably given me the tools and the experiences from which to be able to help people and do what I I really enjoy.
0: Yeah. Outstanding, outstanding, love it. And uh, like, hey, I have no more questions uh, for you, sir. But like, I've got to just simply say, hey, thank you. Coming on the podcast today. You have been brilliant. A delight. A pleasure to have uh on the show today. Can you tell the lovely people how they can find you out there on these interwebs?
1: Yeah, so um LinkedIn is probably the platform I use the most. So Andrew Crowsdale, spelt C-R O A S D A L E. Um, I've also developed actually a um business diagnosis tool. Which um you can put the link in the probably the show notes, I would imagine um it's a free tool for business owners um sixteen yes no questions to answer, and what it will do is give them some insights into how they might be able to improve the performance of their team uh and and grow their business uh by delighting customers so'll provide provide that for free LinkedIn probably the best way my website is www.octopusleadership.com. Perfect. I will in fact, put... let me just tell you the story before we finish of the octopus. You never asked about the octopus, which is, I was telling somebody about this the other day and they said, that is so, such an interesting little story. The reason I called my business Octopus Leadership is because the octopus is one of the cleverest creatures in the world because it's got nine brains one master brain, and one for each of its tentacles. And that allows the master brain, i.e. the business owner, to allow its team to operate semi-autonomously and get on and deal with the day-to-day business of moving, fighting, finding food, leaving the main brain to think strategically and, and do what it needs to do. So that is the analogy that I help business to achieve. Be strategic and allow your team through, uh, through my octopus operating system to be able to conduct the business without needing the oversight uh, and intervention of the owner.
0: Yeah, the only reason why I didn't bring this up because you were talking about good and evil and like, yes, yeah, so octopus is the symbol inspector from James Bond. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was like, okay, do I bring it up or don't I? It's like, uh, yeah. So if I see like a distinguished gentleman running like through it in a tux, uh, I know that there's something going on. If there's a big white cat, what all of a sudden leaps up, I know there's something going on. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Yes. Uh, As I say, I will put all of this information in the notes. And yes, bar any sort of secret spy organizations coming into play, uh, you'll be able to like find Andrew out there. Yes, thank you once again for coming on today, sir. Uh, it's been a pleasure, absolute pleasure. <laughs> yeah, it's been a pleasure to speak to you as well and meet you. So, thank you. It's been uh, it's been nice, outstanding. I'd like to say thank you to you, my friends, my life uh, my life warriors, for coming, like uh, watching the show, sticking with us to the end. Please stay well, stay safe, be awesome, be excellent, be fantastic. Be all the positive bees you can be in this world and denser. And remember, keep moving forward. Watch yourself, Mr. Bond. <laughs> and we are.